Well, good morning, church. A year ago, as we entered Advent season, we were only hoping, only imagining the day we could worship in person, the day we could gather in each other's homes, the day we could go to school away from our homes, the day vaccines were available, the day when families could safely gather together again or the day when everyone could be safe. Because we were imagining goodness. And today we are gathered together. Yet there are still times, in that there are still times we are hard pressed to imagine good in this world. So we pray, O oh Lord, have mercy on us. Show us your imagination for goodness. Amen. So as we get started, whether you are six years old or 85 years old, I wonder how many times I'm going to use the word imagine or words derived from imagine. Maybe you want to count them or not. Give me an email. We already have five. No, it's six. In the 1990s movie, Shawshank Redemption, the character of an inmate named Red, played by Morgan Friedman, responds to his inmate friend, whose name is Andy Dufresne. Andy imagines goodness outside the prison walls after he's served 20 years of a no-pardon sentence. But Red says to Andy, after his 30 years behind those cold stone walls, hope is a dangerous thing. It can play a game with your mind behind these walls. Because you see, Red had lost all imagination of life behind those walls, or beyond those walls, but not Andy. Our Bible texts also dare us to imagine God's goodness in difficult times. Take the Jeremiah text that was read this morning, written to the southern kingdom of Judah, the promise of God's restoration after a time of barrenness and military occupation. I mean, the Hebrew people are living in a combat zone. And I think some of you have actually experienced that. They're living in warfare. I have not experienced that, but some of you have. And maybe you can kind of identify with that. The hopelessness of warfare, especially for those most vulnerable. But it's in this context that Jeremiah speaks to the long arc of hope and imagines goodness in a time when it was dangerous to do so. The Babylonians were closing into, onto Jerusalem to destroy the city and its people and carry them away. And he speaks for God's voice. I will save. I will fulfill the promises. 
the days are surely coming. In those days, Judah will live in safety. They'll be saved. The Lord is about doing what is right. God promises righteousness and justice that will be revealed through God's righteous Messiah, the branch from David's root. How would we receive those words in those times? I'm sure they weren't all hunky-dory as hearing those words from Jeremiah. I'm sure there were some, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? Can't you tell that we're suffering and there's no, no room for hope at all, and yet you dare to tell us that things are going to be okay after a while? But what about right now? Yet Jeremiah backs up his words with action. You remember what he does in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 32? In the midst of a failing real estate environment, he invests in real estate, even though he knows Jerusalem is going to be overrun. He buys a field. He uses up resources that could have been used for, to help people escape or whatever. I'm just making things up here. But he has the audacity to invest in real estate, knowing he would lose the land. In short, he invests in hope. He imagines what can be good in the future. It makes me think that hope and imagine are first cousins or maybe siblings. As in the days of Jeremiah, we too, people today, are longing for better times. I mean, children are starving. Climate change is destroying property with horrendous, unprecedented storms of all kinds. Millions of refugees seek, refugees seek shelter and a place to call home. While water shortage, pollution, pandemics, and wars continue their destructive march across God's good earth. And yet, like Jeremiah, there are people today imagining goodness. About five years ago, our grandson who lives in Kansas, he's now about the age of some of you seated here, and we know Kansas is in a tornado alley, right, from Texas up to Oklahoma and beyond, and so the threat of tornadoes are very real. And so Heston is a city, a small city, like every other small town, I'm sure, in the plains, they have a weekly tornado warning. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, Monday, at Haston, and it lets you know what's going on. It's a test, but it's, it's like this blaring thing going on, like the TV commercials that all of a sudden pump up the volume and it startles you. That's what this siren does. Well, one day, it wasn't 10 a.m. It was whatever time it was, whatever day it was, but it wasn't Monday at 10 a.m., and the siren went off. And our family, our son and daughter-in-law and two children went down in the basement where there was the washing machine and a couple of freezers and about 35 quarts of applesauce and paint cans and whatever else was stored in the basement. And little Jack was nine years old. And he was not trying to make a joke. 
he was not trying to be fluffy, optimistic, but he said to his parents, well, if our house blows away, at least we'll have applesauce. I know, I laugh about that too now, but he was not trying to be funny. He was just responding with his nine-year-old outlook on it. At least we'll have applesauce. Friday a week ago, David Brooks wrote a column called The Awesome Importance of Imagination, New York Times. He looks way back into history and to uh, compare the, the uh, take on imagination with two of the well-known philosophers, Plato and Aristotle. They disagreed about the role of imagination. Plato gave the impression that imagination is like a fairy tale. It's a luxury you can go into just to escape the reality of life. He said it deals with illusions and make-believe and distracts us from the capacity to reason about how things are. Aristotle countered that imagination. He said it's one of the foundations of all knowledge. Now, I suppose we here might line up behind one of those, perhaps, or in certain times of our life, we might tend to agree with one and maybe next time or the other. But that there's two divergent paths about the role of imagination. And Brooks concludes in this way. One tragedy of our day is that our culture hasn't fully realized how much Aristotle was correct. Our society isn't good at cultivating the faculty that we may need the most. And you can guess what that is. Imagination. He summarizes it this way. Imagination helps us perceive reality, but it also helps us try on other realities predict possible futures, experience other viewpoints. And yet, how much do our schools prioritize the cultivation of this essential ability? And he leaves us with a question. What happens to a society that lets so much of its imaginative capacity lie fallow? Perhaps you wind up in a society in which people are strangers to one another and themselves. Well, Luke's gospel also speaks into capacity to imagine. In chapter 21, before Jesus dies, he tells his disciples that people will live through all kinds of hard times, all kinds. But by the time Luke writes his good news, Jerusalem has already been destroyed by the Romans. The Jesus movement is feeling the pressure of persecution from both the powers of religion and the Roman emperor. And into this reality, Luke's gospel illustrates the power of imagination with Jesus' story of the fig tree. And he writes, just as we know that when a fig tree sprouts leaves, we know that summer is near. And we can imagine delicious figs down the road. He says, I, I paraphrase, so too there are signs to watch for the presence of Jesus in our lives that give us courage to imagine goodness. In verses 34 to 36, Jesus dares his disciples then and now to watch 
and wait for the fullness of God's kingdom. In other words, God's ways of operating. And he leads us with two strategies for imagining goodness as we live through hard times. The first strategy is to be on guard. Be on guard. For what? Well, let's be on guard to help each other in this anxiety-filled time. Let's be on guard when all kinds of distress cause distraction from God's goodness. Let's be on guard to see and to imagine new leaves of goodness sprouting in the midst of these days. Or as Mr. Fred Rogers said in 2001, addressing the nation after the New York tragedy, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. Secondly, Luke writes, be alert, which is similar to be on guard. But he's talking about something different. Be alert to the false promises, the scams that come and go. From many smooth talkers that suppose and propose that we as believers will have a trouble-free life if we just check off all the boxes of faith. Luke is saying, rather, let's be alert for the words of Jesus that will never, ever pass away or lose its flavor. So Saturday a week ago in the LMP newspaper, there was an article about the pastor of the Moravian Center in Lancaster. She was trying to do just that, to be alert. So she recalls that one day in 2018, a homeless man stopped by at the Moravian Center in Lancaster, which is right above the bus service station. And he was asking for a bus ticket so he could visit his wife in the hospital. He left with not only a ticket, but also a blessing bag of socks and snacks and toiletries. And on the way out the door, he said, thanks for letting me shop at the Hope Shop, which was not the title of, the, of her business, but anyway. She wrote a book about it, not just about him, but all her experiences. And the title is Your Friendly Neighborhood Hope Shop by Reverend Mandy M. Mastros, pastor of this Moravian church at 227 North Queen Street. And she's also a licensed social worker. She says, it's stuck. The name stuck. The stories are really about resilience and hope people working together in the community to overcome obstacles. And she concludes that we all have a combination of hopeful and discouraging experiences. Therefore, the friendly neighborhood hope shop. So the calamities that are described in Luke 21 are not the signs of the end of the earth or the world. Rather, they are what happens in our world. They're reminders to embrace Jesus' words no matter what. And I don't think our awareness is automatic. I think, needs, I think we need to practice awareness to help each other to be watchful of the times, to help each other to be alert, to have strength for those times yet to come. So I leave you with questions. What new leaves... What new leaves or signs of Jesus coming among us do you see or do you imagine sprouting in our time? 
in our East Chestnut Street Mennonite church life, our city, our community, our nation, and world. Our Advent focus asks another question. Can we, dare we embrace hope once more? And I believe we can when we remember God's steadfast goodness and the goodness of learning and walking in God's ways, which never fade away. So in a nutshell, Jesus dares us to imagine goodness in our perilous times. Actually, I think Jesus is saying to us, I double dare you. <laughs>